Charlotte Christian College and Theological Seminary believes that every Christian has a distinct calling and that he or she must boldly respond to that call. Charlotte Christian specializes in equipping the adult learner and all degrees are available both online and on campus. Degree fields include urban Christian ministry, biblical studies, pastoral studies, and more. So whether you are called to full-time ministry or as a co-vocational minister, Charlotte Christian can help you. Visit us at charlottechristian.edu or call 704-334-6882. Sennheiser has been continuously setting trends in the audio industry. Wherever people care passionately about recording, transmitting, or playing sound, Sennheiser will be there. Artists, disc jockeys, scientists, sound technicians, or demanding music lovers, the Sennheiser name always stands for premium products, headphones, microphones, and all-around audio solutions. The ultimate in sound quality. Sennheiser. It's the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. Kathleen Falsani joins us. She's the author of the book, The End of Hunger, Renewed Hope for Feeding the World. A lot of people care about the subject and many more turn the other cheek or the look the other direction. She joins us. Welcome. Thank you. It's really great to be with you, Michael. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bayerdynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission. To make you sound your best, thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators. You know, how often do we really pay attention to that type of ministry? And it's in front of us every day from homeless people and images on television. And so uh, how can we be more caring, especially as Christians? Well, I think we kind of need to remember that we're commanded, it's not a suggestion, to feed the hungry. That's what Jesus said. Uh, and if we're turning a blind eye or putting on the back burner or deciding to somehow ignore it or procrastinate about doing anything or feel like the need is so overwhelming that there's nothing that we could possibly do as one person, uh, then we're not actually doing what Jesus told us to do. We're not living out the gospel and we're not really being loving which is the whole purpose of why we're here. 
if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Well, let me just give an example. So I'll be in the car, okay, with mm-hmm. my wife. We'll drive somewhere and maybe we'll have, um, you know, forgive me, like a, a Wendy's cheeseburger or sure. something you should be eating. And uh, and then there's the, you know, homeless person right there, you know, on the right. side of the, of the block of the road there. And uh, I'll just say, how's that cheeseburger? Oh, that's fine. You know, I and, and not think twice that maybe we should buy that man or that woman a cheeseburger. And not really understand the severity of hunger and how that's right. really just connected to the whole life. Now you draw that conclusion in the book that it's so much more than just feeding the person, but it's mm-hmm. you're dealing mm-hmm. with the uh, you know their their self esteem, their you know they're a child of uh, their uh, creation of God, yep. um, and uh, and also it affects their their mental capacity and everything. And so I would think that we'd all want to be on high alert about this, but it seems mm-hmm. like all society. Uh, has not, and uh, of course, you know, we could turn to Bob uh, Geldof and Farm uh, mm-hmm. Aid and all those songs about feeding the world, and um, and we're going to do a duet a little later anyway. We're <laughs> but, you know, it, it seems like th- those songs were more prevalent back in the day. Has it died down the, uh, you know, the whole movie? You know, it's interesting. Hunger isn't something we hear about very often. When I was watching Live Aid in the summer of 1985, when mm-hmm. I was 14 and a half years old, And that's what Bob Geltoff, he had watched a news broadcast, just like any of us does. And he was watching somebody on the ground in Ethiopia at the time. And he saw images and heard about this famine, a biblical famine, quite literally. And he was just incensed. Like, how how could this actually be happening at this point? And this is, again, you know, 35 years ago almost. How could this ha- be happening in this day and age where there's so much wealth and there's so much technology and we could, it seems like we should be able to get food to those who are hungry. And there weren't any good answers to it. And so he just literally got on a plane and went there hmm. just as an average, not as a rock star, but just as an average person going, I need to learn more about the watching Bob, who you know is not a person of faith. He's an atheist, in fact watch him step into the space where we as Christians are meant to be standing and helping and handing out food and literally feeding the hungry was a wake-up call to me as a teenager and was really inspiring and continues to be inspiring. But, you know, I, I was just talking to um, one of my co-authors in the book. I'm the co-editor of the book, and there are two dozen authors um, from all kinds of walks of life, from chefs to rock stars who have written about this issue. Um, I was talking to one of them about, do you remember, and maybe you do, Michael, when we were young, uh, if you went, (laughs) it's a long time ago, (laughs) lean into the the, uh, way back machine. But when I was a kid at Halloween, um, in the public school I went to as a child before I went to a Christian school, we always had these orange boxes from UNICEF. Yes we were mindful that there were kids starving in Africa, which is what the language was that I remember from that, that time in my life. Um, and we collected coins and then we brought, you know, our hall of candy back and also whatever change we collected for the needy children through UNICEF and then turned that in. I don't hear that. I don't see that. My own son who is now 20 when he was younger, I don't remember kids doing that. I know I checked it out. I know it still happens that UNICEF still has that program, but it doesn't seem to be in the zeitgeist. It doesn't seem to be on our radar. And we, Jenny Dyer and I, who's my co-editor for the book, really felt that like this is something that is inarguably part of the gospel. Jesus actually said this 
in several places with several sources. So if we're not feeding the hungry, what are we doing? Yeah. And it's it's weird that the church isn't as equipped as you would think. You know, if some people say, hey, I'm kind of hungry here. Yeah. Sorry, we don't uh, have anything like that. And, you know, know, well, I don't have to tell you, you know, that there are plenty of people of faith who are doing this work on the ground all over the world who are literally feeding the hungry. But when's the last time you heard a sermon or a message given from the pulpit or from you know, your pastor in whatever kind of setting you're in. When's the last time you actually heard somebody preach about hunger? Yeah. Well, that's, I can't tell you the last time. That's why you're on. I mean, we, we, (laughs) the name of the book, the end of hunger, renewed hope for feeding the world. Kathleen Falsani joins us. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, you, I'll be honest, this is a very comprehensive book. Like there there was no, this is, yeah, it's no fluff book, a lot of research. uh, And, but you come from all different angles to understand biblically, right. uh, socially, uh, uh, ethically, yep. uh, so that you know, there's no mistaking that this is a, a very important part, as you mentioned, to God, to Jesus, and also right. to, be to us. So, uh, you know, let's talk about your own personal experience with hunger. Sure. Well, I, you know, I'm, I grew up in New England. I'm from Connecticut. I've, I'm from a uh, privileged background, um, certainly in the global sense, but also even in the sense of just being a, an American, um, I have never been hungry in my life. Um, but I have a son, my only child, Boshko, who also has a, a small chapter in the book that he wrote about his own experience with hunger. Boshko was born and spent the first nine years of his life in Malawi, which is in uh, sort of central eastern Africa without having some sort of exacerbating famine or, or political crisis or some other kind of natural disaster. Uh, It's just grinding poverty. And that's what he was born into. Um, And he very much remembers what it was like for large stretches of his childhood being hungry, not having enough to eat, not eating for days at a time, or only having a little tiny bit of maize um, and having to drink water and also having to walk long distances to get water. Um, clean drinking water is kind of goes hand in hand in a lot mm-hmm. of parts of the world with, with nutrition and food security. But, you know, it wasn't, it's not an abstract to my son. It is something that he, he lived with uh, for the first, almost the first half of his life and then came to the States when he was nine and has been living a very American lifestyle, you know, having a very good, steady, balanced, nutritious diet. Well, and it's amazing what we saw, uh, what his body did uh, to compensate um, for all those years. He was really tiny. He was about the size of a four-year-old, when he, American four-year-old, mm-hmm. when he came over. And, you know, in six months with good nutrition, his body caught up. My husband liked to joke that if you listened at night, you could hear his feet growing. He went through a shoe size a, a month there for the first six or eight months he was with us. But, you know, so I've seen what can happen uh, in my own family with somebody who doesn't have enough. Um, See, me on the what other happens hand, when they do. With myself, I mean, I, my mother fed me and, and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm at five foot five. What happened? You know? <laughs> me no, too. No, yeah, I would, I would <laughs> you were growing at, at night. But um, the fact is that you mentioned the tremendous advantages that uh, people have when they're yes. fed in the nutrition and, and affects your brain Yes, as far as to be able to solve problems and so That's forth. Right. Anyone who's listening, all you have to do is just you know go a couple of hours, sometimes a whole day without eating, 
and you feel shaky and funny and how people get through every single day. Right. They have to go to school and they have to learn. And it, it just... And months. Yeah, months. At a time. Uh, the book opens with a chapter by um, our wonderful friend, Mike McHarg, who is a, a writer and a podcaster and a speaker and a musician. Some people know him as a science Mike. Um, and Mike is not a theologian. Uh, he's not a scientist, but he's a marvelous thinker. Um, and it's, it's really interesting to read somebody break it down like that. But then he also talks about what happens to our brains when we help other people. So he brings it all the way around. This is what happens to your brain when you don't have enough food. This is what happens to your brain when you help somebody who doesn't have enough food. And this is what we can do if we use our resources and we have all the resources in the world, literally, to feed every hungry person on the planet. See, we just need the will to get it done. That's the thing is that we come from a place where we think, how am I going to help that person? I mean, I'm as guilty as anybody. You see an emaciated person from Cambodia or Africa or wherever it may be. Right. And you say to yourself, it's too much. It's too much to bear. It's too hard to handle. How could I ever really make a difference? And so yet we have, you know, why not just think just for today? Right. Hey, I have something. I have some sort of resource where I can help another person. And I always now, you know, here in Florida, I always have like a bottle of water, uh, lots of them in the car. Mm -hmm. and, and so mm -hmm. I'm thinking now I have like a bottle of water ministry because, you know, there, there's a homeless person and they say, oh, am I, you have no idea. Thank God for this water. And oh, uh, yeah. And, and I'm thinking is that was a little thing that made a huge difference. But how did you didn't you feel great after you yeah. did that, too? Yeah. I mean, it's totally selfish. Uh, but it is, it's a physiological thing that happens to yes. us when we help other people. So we're helping ourselves. We're helping them. We feel good. They, they feel hydrated. They feel better. They have food. Um, you know, again, in Mike's opening chapter of the book, he also talks about when you say 700 million people on the planet don't have enough to eat today, our brain can't process that enormity. It literally can't process it. And so we get there's a torpor that sets in where we're like, we're overwhelmed. And so we don't do anything because we have no idea where to begin. And I, the last line of Mike's chapter says, do something. I'll tell you something, you know, I'll tell you what's selfish. I, I want the movement to come back just for new songs. <laughs> I, I well, those yeah. songs. Do you know it's Christmas and, and the, you know, feed the world. And I mean, they were coming out with some really good songs at a fast clip. Now you don't hear them anymore. It was on our radar when we were teenagers, That's but that right. was 35 years ago. Right. And I, oh my goodness. I know it's hard. It's hard to believe, but it is. Um, but, you know, I think with, with not a lot of effort, if we introduce this idea of there are hungry people under 15 years, it is possible that we can feed every hungry person on the planet. Mm. I would not have gotten there had it not been for an atheist Irish rock star deciding that he couldn't just sit by and not do something. Is he still alive, Bob? Bob? Oh, Sir Bob? Absolutely. Yes. And kicking. Yes, he is. Because yes, that was is. a big deal. That was a huge, huge thing. And it, it somehow it really got everyone excited about this. Uh, you know, do, there were telethons and TV things. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, Live Aid. And what was the guy? Willie Nelson. And, farm uh, Aid. That was with Farmers. Farm and they're still, that's still going, too. Yeah. Uh, let's tie all this in. Sure. So with the rubber meets the road with, with God and the poor. Because mm -hmm. uh, we know, of course, that uh, in the Lord has a, a real heart for uh, the hungry, as Absolutely. He says it, for those that thirst, for those that hunger, for the poor. And so 
you know, again, the weird thing about God <laughs> is that, you know, people think, well, if God loved the world, then he would have fed the whole world. But the, the Bible says he has a special heart That's right. for people who are hungry and poor. And so how does the Bible fit in all, uh, all this and, and as far as the compassion God has for, uh, for people who are hungry? Well, first of all, I think if you are not looking for God among the hungry and the poor, you're not going to find him. He is with the poor. Uh, if, if you aren't sure you know what God is doing in the world, go sp- find somebody who is impoverished, find somebody who's hungry, find somebody who doesn't have clean drinking water, and you will very quickly see God in your midst. And, you know, God has given us, the absolutely equipped us with the ability to feed and water and care for every single person on the planet. It's humans who haven't managed to get their act together. The resources are there. The kingdom is plentiful. It's not one of scarcity. It's plenty. We just have to make sure it gets to the people who need it, which means getting out of our own way and not being so selfish and looking beyond the end of our own nose or our driveway or our neighborhood. Yeah, that's right. And the most uh, you know pronounced part is uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. There are like five thousand some records or seven thousand, you know, <laughs> and, the, uh, and everyone's hungry and. Uh, it became a little overwhelming with the disciples. How are we going to feed all these people? How are we going to mm-hmm. do this? And he wanted the, the Lord for everybody to turn to him and he would find a way, you know, as long as mm. they, in his name, uh, he would find a way. But, uh, you know, without God, okay, let's just say we omit him like, like the rest of the world does. Uh, I, I should say, um, you can't really solve the problem. It seems. It seemed like when you put it in in his hands, he was able to do miracles, and he was able to feed uh, uh, people. And uh, right in our generation, yours and mine, in the last twenty five, thirty years, we have cut in half the number of people who are living daily with malnutrition and, and hunger. We just have to focus, and we have to talk about it. And we have to ask our elected officials to do things. And we have to all, this is the sort of all hands on deck approach that you see in the book. Um, There are people from industry, there are people from government, there are people from NGOs, there are artists, there are regular people with children. There are people who are trying to, uh, Kimberly Williams Paisley and Brad Paisley, the country artist, they have a chapter together talking about what they have done as sort of, I mean, they're superstars, but they're also regular people. And how do you raise two young boys in this day and age with a mind to help others and to feed other people? They've turned the focus outward and it's become something that they're doing for their community in Nashville. Um, that's, it's, it's, and it's a model that I think will be replicated around the country and other communities. So, you know, it starts small. You do one thing, make one change, and then go from there. You don't have to solve global hunger by yourself in the next hour or the next lifetime even but together we can get there and we'll be right back kathleen falsani she's the author of the book can i call you the author or the editor i'm the i'm the editor the okay. co-editor <laughs> she's but i'm one of the authors i have a chapter in there too. There, you, there you go we're going to find out about why india has gotten a lot of press as far as with hunger right after this 
God has designed you for a unique purpose. Get equipped for God's call with a degree from Clark Summit University. Choose from undergraduate and master's degrees, available completely online in programs like business, counseling, Bible, and education. For some programs, it's possible to earn your degree in as little as two years, or you can complete the degree you previously started. See if you qualify for a tuition discount. Answer God's call on your life and become a Christ-centered, career-ready graduate. Go to clarksummitu.edu slash podcast. That's clarksummitu.edu slash podcast. All right, we're back with Kathleen Falsani, one of the editors of the book, The End of Hunger, Renewed Hope for Feeding the World. And you cover everything in this book. You know, I wanted to ask you too, as far as how did you decide who is going to be in this book? You have many different authors. Yeah, you know, uh, when Jenny Dyer, who's the, the co editor of this piece of this book with me, when we were first starting to talk about the project, we, we, we knew the end goal was trying to get American Christians, evangelicals in particular, to focus their attention on global hunger the way they did on the AIDS emergency in sub-Saharan Africa 20 years ago or 15 years ago. So tell me a story, paint me a picture, put me there, and my heart's going to break and I'm going to want to do something. Mm. And so we wanted to get all kinds. Some people want a biblical argument. Some people want to be sort of romanced into it. Somebody wants, some other people want it to know, um, hear from a fellow parent. And we have got a number of parents and children, um, co-parents. Uh, I was mentioning the Paisleys. They're in there. There's another, there's a family, Steve Taylor, the Christian music artist and filmmaker. Amy he and his And Amy Grant. Um, and the, the Taylor family, it's, it's Steve and his wife and their daughter who they adopted from Uganda when she was nine or 10 years old herself. And they, all three of them talk about food when she first came home and her remembering what it was like to not have enough food when she was a child. We want to talk about India in just a minute. Yeah. Before, before we talk about India, I wanted to mention that what you talked about, the UNICEF boxes, you know, and I mm-hmm. totally, man, that brought back memory. Remember that? You know, just trying to, I remember like getting hit over the head just because I couldn't put that box together properly. <laughs> the teacher had to come over and help me out. But we, you know, I, I mean, what's going on? Are they still doing that? Is that, uh, what, have we gotten less sensitive to this uh, subject of hunger? You know, uh, they are still doing it because it made me, when I said, I haven't seen those boxes in a long time, it made me go and look. And UNICEF is in fact still doing a, a version of that. You know, you can still go and get a box and take it with you, trick-or-treating and collect money for, for uh, children, needy children in different parts of the world. Well, I want to say also that, you know, it seemed like in the past they also had more pictures, Sally Struthers, and more pictures of hunger. Uh, am I well, correct about this, that you don't see pictures You know, there's a, there's a sensibility that, and I think it's rightfully so, there's a, a sensibility that has change or at least started to change in the last five to 10 years that if we're going and we're taking pictures of people suffering, what is the volition for them in that? If you're taking a picture of a child with flies in his or her eyes with a distended stomach, is that the right thing to be doing? Do we need that wasn't a good marketing plan? Well, was it, but it was it actually the, the ethical and just thing to do. And I think sensibilities have changed around that a bit. Um, Tell me how, because it seemed like that was very effective. They were to show it, you know, and I'm just saying like a tear running down the eye. uh, And it it was something that when you talk about stories that, you know, picture tells a thousand stories. Why was that bad? 
I'm not saying it was bad. I, I'm saying that first of all, the, it, you get uh, there's an empathy fatigue that happens, or a sympathy fatigue, not empathy, but sympathy fatigue. When you see the same thing over and over again, it tends to have less of an effect on you. But we also don't want human beings and their image and likeness and their story to just be a means to an end. Um, and so I think the way uh, organizations are working with uh, the poor and the hungry and the sick in parts of the world, I'm thinking about world vision, um, you know, for years and years and years have done the thing where uh, you can sponsor a child, you choose a child, mm -hmm. there's a book of children, you see a picture, there's a story that goes with it. They, their new campaign, which I think they're just launching now, actually flips that around. And again, this has something to do with the sense of the sensibilities about objectifying the poor. Um, where the children are presented with sponsors and they get to pick the person that sponsors them. It's very interesting. Wow. Yes. So I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think we need to see a picture of somebody suffering to motivate us to do the right thing. If we do, I think there might be something a little bit wrong with our uh, yeah. sensitivity or empathy meter that needs to be recalibrated a do little bit. Do they put the bank accounts on there? Do they show the kids and say, you know, you can... I'm not exactly sure how it works, but I think there's like a picture of the sponsor and the kid gets... To, I think it's just whether it, it actually works out or not. It's an interesting thing that they're trying to do, which is putting volition and choice and in, in, uh, agency in the hands of the disenfranchised child. Yeah, and as long as, that's interesting. As long as we're talking about that subject, I should ask, are these companies, organizations, are they hurting more than in the past? Uh, Samaritan's Purse, Feed the Poor. I think there's been an uptick in charitable giving in the last couple of years. When things get nervous here, uh, Americans are very generous people. Uh, and they like to help. And again, I think some of it speaks to that thing that Mike McCarg talks about in the first chapter of the book. When you help somebody else, something physiologically happens to you that makes you feel better. On page uh, 34, it's a, it's a faithful Christian response, at least in the book. You don't say it, but someone says it. <laughs> so I'm going to read what this says. It says, while we have made major strides in combating extreme poverty globally, mm -hmm. two billion people still struggle to survive on $2 or less a day. Christians That's true. change. And it says our personal lives, our churches, our society first, we need to live more simply so that the poor may simply live. The book, The End of Hunger, Renewed Hope for Feeding the World. One of the yep. editors joins us, Kathleen Falsani. And so usually India has been like the poster child when it comes to uh, the subject of hunger, obviously, and they talk about, um, uh, you know, Slumdog Millionaire, that famous movie that came out, and uh, yep. how kids are living, and uh, intertwined with that, and it's a subject in your book, Hunger and Sex Trafficking. Mm -hmm. uh, that is an area now, not only in India, but also it says uh, in Kenya and other places like that, uh, that's huge as far as uh, combating sex trafficking. How does hunger mm -hmm. fit into the picture? Well, you know, it makes me think of our, our friends at the One Campaign where Jenny used to work and where I've uh, done a lot of uh, work over the years and traveled with them. They have a campaign that they launched in the last year or two called Poverty is Sexist. And when you start looking at the figures about who global poverty and in turn global hunger affects more than others, it's girls and women. Girls and women are affected adversely than the male members of the society are. And so when you talk about vulnerable girls and women, they're poor, grinding poverty. They don't have enough to eat and all of the accompanying 
physiological things that happen with that cognitive ability, stunting both of like your physical size and your ability to think and function in the world. When you're hungry and you're poor and you're tired and you're not well, you are also a, a key target for people who would exploit you. Mm, and so in lots, Nicole Lim is uh, one of the authors in the book and she writes about her experiences in, in Kenya, I believe, with um, a young woman who dealt with all of these things um, and how, you know, you can't, again, just like we were talking about HIV and AIDS 15, 20 years ago, you can't divorce that issue from nutrition and sanitation and education. All of those things kind of go hand in hand. If you picture in your mind what the least of these are, picture a, a starving 12-year-old Indian girl. And that's exactly what Jesus was talking about. We're going to talk more about innovation in just a little bit. Our special guest, Kathleen Falsani, the editor of the book, The End of Hunger, Renewed Hope for Feeding the World, back after this. Sennheiser has been continuously setting trends in the audio industry. Wherever people care passionately about recording, transmitting, or playing sound, Sennheiser will be there. Artists, disc jockeys, scientists, sound technicians, or demanding music lovers, the Sennheiser name always stands for premium products, headphones, microphones, and all-around audio solutions. The ultimate in sound quality. Sennheiser. Okay, we're back with Kathleen Falsani the editor of the book, The End of Hunger, Renewed Hope for Feeding the World. And so I want to talk to you about innovation for just a little bit, because I remember seeing something where they lowered, I don't know what it was, to feed people. It was like this big vat of peanut butter. And you see these kids that have uh, their hand goes through the peanut butter, into their mouth, through the vat, into their mouth. Um, how does innovation p play a part of this? You know, feeding people, there has to be some sort of strategy. I'm thinking about the last time I was in sub-Saharan Africa, which is a few years ago now. And I think we were in Malawi, which is the country that my son is from. And we met with farmers who were growing lots of different kinds of beans with the idea of legumes, which is the idea of getting more protein into the local diet. Um, and instead of the big vat of peanut sauce or peanut butter, mm -hmm. there were these bars they, they st the little foil wrapped bars, they stayed fresher longer. They provided more nutrients than a, you know, a handful of peanut butter. Um, they tasted good to the local palate and they were a complete protein and they were, you know, pennies to uh, manufacture and, and distribute. If I'm not mistaken, that came from somebody in Malawi itself. Um, working in conjunction with, you know, a European or an American uh, producer to sort of manufacture this. And there are a lot of ingenuity that's coming from the ground up and a lot of ingenuity that's coming from all over the world going into it too. So um, I'm thinking about uh, something as, as easy, it's innovative in this context, but it's something as simple as, uh, I remember being in Zambia and sitting with a, a mother's group and they had a little card table and the women all gathered around with their kids and they were just given a lesson of the difference between how to cook a cassava, which has very little nutritional value, mm. compared to how, to how to serve and prepare a sweet potato, which has protein and nutrients that are far better for a growing child's uh, brain and body than just a starch. They just had to be shown how to prepare it. And that something as easy as like a cooking demonstration for moms 
that takes a card table and two sweet potatoes and some tomatoes and somebody who knows how to chop them up and show them how to, you know, cook them over the fire, that has a profound effect on the health of an individual child and eventually on the community. And that lifts the whole community. Because if children have enough and proper nutrients uh, and nutrition in the first thousand days that they're alive, we talk about the first thousand days of a child's life uh, being the most crucial. Um, when they have that, it changes the way they inhabit the world. It changes the way that they are able to learn things. It changes the way that they are able to um, swing a hammer or a hoe. We're seeing lots of innovation happening all over the world to tackle those very simple issues that make a world of difference in somebody's yeah. life. We really enjoyed having you on the program. Our special guest, Kathleen Falsani, the name of the book, The End of Hunger, Renewed Hope for Feeding the World. And how can people buy the book and get in touch with you? Uh, the book is available on uh, beginning October 22nd, Tuesday. It drops at bookstores everywhere, anywhere that you can think about uh, buying a book in whatever iteration you think of, you can find it. Uh, and you can find me online at KathleenFalsani.com. Um, and I am a very active tweeter at GodGirl is my handle, G-O-D-G-R-R-L. Um, and we're hoping that you'll see a lot of this book, certainly, but also a lot more about hunger from lots of different places in your life and in the church and in the Christian community in the coming weeks and months. Now, you said, I just want to quiz you, you said you knew the words to uh, feed the world. Is that right? The Christmas song? Uh, at Christmas time. There you go. Okay, so gonna, who's going to be, <laughs> are you going to be like a, a boy George and I'll, I'll be George Michael? Uh, sure, I can be, I can be Bono and you can be Sting. All right, so you go ahead. You you go first. You go first. It's Christmas time. I'm to think about, uh, I think time. There's no need oh, to be, to be afraid. At Christmas time, time, we let in light and we banish Banish pain. Okay, now I get to be Boy George here, okay? But okay. say a prayer. Go ahead. But say a prayer. <laughs> Pray for the other ones. Who, who sang that one? And then the lyric that he hates and won't <laughs> sing anymore. But tonight, thank God, it's them instead of you. Yeah, that's he's right. He's acquired some wisdom over the years, and he really does not like that line. And when they re-recorded, do they know it's Christmas a few years yeah. ago, he changed Sting, the lyric. Staying in Bono, if you're listening... <laughs> We got to get some new songs here, but that that's a, a goodie. And, and you, you brought back the memories, Kathleen Falsani. <laughs> the book is called The End of Hunger, Renewed Hope for Feeding the World. Thanks for joining us tonight. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Thanks for spending the time to talk about such an important issue. We really appreciate it. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bairdynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth to Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit vocalboothtogo.com for more information. 
And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics, along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators.